You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Outbreak. In a remote African jungle, a small monkey is captured, bound for a pet store in America. The animal carries a deadly virus. Now, I know that some of us have doubts about what we're about to do. We'd be less than human if we didn't. But the fate of the nation, perhaps the world, is in our hands. We cannot, we dare not refuse this burden. I'm confident that each of you will do his duty. God forgive us. Your town is being quarantined. We got 19 dead. You got 100 more infected. It's spreading like a brush fire. What are you talking about? If one of them's got it, then 10 of them have got it now. And if one of them gets out of Cedar Creek, we have a very interesting problem. If that bug gets out of there, 260 million Americans will be dead or dying. I'm leaving with the team in an hour. From the heart of a small California town. Damn it, Sam. I want to save these people same as you. To the inner circle of power in Washington. The most optimistic projection for the spread of the virus is this. 24 hours... 36 hours, 48 hours. The greatest medical crisis of all time. We can't stop it. Begins. Try to remain calm. Many people are dying and are going to continue to die unless we find this monkey. There will be panic the likes of which we have never seen. There you Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Outbreak, and the story is as follows. A dangerous airborne virus threatens civilization in this tense thriller. After an African monkey carrying a lethal virus is smuggled into the U.S., an outbreak occurs in a California town. To control the spread of the disease, a team of doctors is brought in that includes a contagious disease expert and his ex-wife. Once the army intervenes to handle the situation, though, the doctors must fight against the clock to save the town and its residents. The film is starring Dustin Hoffman, Rene Russo, Morgan Freeman, Donald Sutherland, Cuba Gooding Jr., Patrick Dempsey, and Kevin Spacey. It is directed by Wolfgang Peterson, and the screenplay is by Lawrence Duret and Robert Roy Poole. Join me for this podcast review. I have Lauren LaMagna. I don't know what day it is. <laughs> and also, uh, we have Josh Parm. Hello, hello. And, least I forget, Dan Baer. <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, this is continuing our uh, weekly Saturday tradition of reviewing some sort of a outbreak pandemic virus movie. And what better title than a film actually called Outbreak itself? A 1995 uh, disaster thriller from Wolfgang Peterson, who people uh, most famously probably know from his 1981 submarine uh, World War II film, Das Boot. Um, and also, he went on to direct other films that I'm sure many people have seen. Air Force One, In the Line of Fire, The Perfect Storm, Troy, uh, Never Ending Story. <laughs> uh, so, Outbreak is a movie that has gotten a resurgence uh, since the coronavirus outbreak uh, occurred. And um, a lot of people are now either watching it for the first time on Netflix or they're re-watching it. And there's a lot of thoughts to be had, I think, on this one as a result of that because... Uh, speaking for myself, this was my first time ever watching this movie, and I will just start off by saying that there is a very big difference growing up in the 90s and then re-watching movies from the 90s with that eye of nostalgia, and then watching a movie that is very, very 90s 
for the first time in 2020. <laughs> so, <laughs> with that said, um, I want to pass it over uh, to Lauren first. Lauren, uh, what do you think of the movie Outbreak? Generally, I like it. I don't remember the first time I saw it, which might be saying something, but I remember it and the plot line. It definitely scared me a lot more this time around, and it's a fun, enjoyable watch for me. I think it drags a little. It could be a good 20 to 30 minutes shorter, but um, it terrified me last night, but honest, but it's it does the job well. Okay, okay. Uh, let's hear now from Josh. Josh, what do you think of Outbreak? Well, Outbreak is definitely a movie that I wouldn't say that I grew up with, but I do remember watching it when I was younger, and you know... It's very, as you said, very 90s. It's got a lot of cheese to it, but I I still eat it up. And these are the kinds of movies, especially like tonally, that I just really have a fun time with where things are dire, but they're dire in a very like Hollywood-esque setting, very Hollywood disaster movie type. And I, I just find these movies to be very entertaining and... Yeah, it has some issues in terms of the characterization, and I do agree that it does drag a bit, but overall, I I still find it to be an entertaining movie that um, even in these very troubled um, times that we're living in, I still can find some enjoyment out of. Okay. Alrighty then. Dan Bear, what about you? <laughs> I, as everyone has said, this is the most 90s movie. Um, like, if if you had said that like if you didn't know about the existence of this movie and someone told you that in 1995 Hollywood made a an outbreak pandemic kind of movie you could pretty much picture exactly what outbreak is in your head just from knowing that <laughs> because it is exactly in every way what you would expect da- down to the uh, blue font titles that were used yep. in like every 90s thriller <laughs> <laughs> down to the title cards down to the cast down to the director this down to the score which mm-hmm. is the most generic thing i think i've ever heard um and you know it has its moments and it gets the job done and it doesn't get it done poorly but I think there's something missing in this to really push it beyond just a generic 90s disaster movie thriller. Okay. All right. Um, for a movie that is two hours and eight minutes long, I genuinely felt it was like three hours and eight minutes long, if I'm being honest with you guys. I really, really did think that this movie dragged. And part of that is because of the cheese um, I'm going to just immediately just point out like that cab scene where Rene Russo is attempting to leave Dustin Hoffman is some of the most cringy, <laughs> bad dialogue and acting that I've seen in a movie in quite some time. I felt so bad for her throughout this whole movie. Yeah, no, I really I really did as well. Um, I felt bad for a lot of people, actually, while watching this. I, I have to say the thing that saved me with this movie uh, were a lot of the typical 90s Hollywood tropes that we are like talking about here. Like I did get a kick out of just seeing the blue uh, opening title uh, opening titles during the credit sequence or uh, there's was it towards the end of the movie where Dustin Hoffman's like flying the helicopter and he's like general with all due respect. 
fuck you, sir. <laughs> that was so amazing. Like, like you're, you're Dustin Hoffman. You're not Arnold Schwarzenegger. What is going on here? <laughs> you know? Um, and there's like these little quips of dialogue in there too that I just thought were so bad, but it's it, it just like the nostalgia of the time. Like, I, um, like Kevin Spacey has like a line where um, uh, I think like Dustin Hoffman says to him, like, why don't you get some sleep? And he's like, I slept back in July. I'm like, yes. what? It's like, there were like these moments like that all throughout the movie um, that it kept me entertained, but I can't say that it's good. And that's the thing that I just kept coming back to. I'm like very extremely mixed on this movie as a whole. Um, down to the fact that the movie has to shoehorn in these action set pieces, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I <are> really, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and I'll tell you that I am probably going to be the most enthusiastic voice of praise on this film. I, I have a feeling, but those are definitely the moments where I think it struggles the most. Cause it definitely does feel like it feels almost like a studio note where they said there's not enough action going on, so throw in a helicopter. Yeah, they need fight. more helicopters. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will give credit where credit's due to Wolfgang Peterson. Um, the scale of this movie in terms of like the military operations and the fact that this is like um uh well, there was obviously CG during this time, but like this is like very pre-heavy CG. So there's a lot of extras, there's a lot of wide shots showing the scale, the magnitude of uh, the United States Army, like, getting involved and stuff. So, like, that stuff was interesting to me because I'm always, like, looking back with nostalgia on how Hollywood had to coordinate uh, these giant set pieces or just even one shot, like, an establishing shot to show, like, here's the camp and this is where they have this tent set up and so on and so forth. So all these scenes with, like, the helicopters and stuff, I was definitely entertained because I'm thinking to myself the whole time, holy shit, this is all practical for the most part. You know, so that was really, really exciting. Um, down to even there's a point where like Dustin Hoffman has to like jump off of a helicopter onto a boat. And I'm like, that's an easy jump, pal. Like, come on. Like, that, that's an easy jump. But the fact that it's done practically um, and from what I could tell, I'm sure there was a wire involved. But still, it's like, oh, that's really cool that an actual person did that. No CGI required, you know, so like that kind of stuff I was leaning into, like I said, in a nostalgic way, not necessarily for the film. But just for the era itself, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I understand that. And look, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, you know, this deserved best picture or anything. But I think that for me, what I like about this movie is that it does operate in a very particular register of dated 90s disaster movie. And yes, there are elements about that that are not that great from a storytelling perspective, but I think that from like a very basic kind of entertainment level, I think that there are things that the movie does really well. And in showing like this process of getting these characters to investigate this thing and to see the outbreak happen. And I think all of that is done very well. It's done in a very particular way. That's not really meant to go that deep with anything, but for what it's trying to accomplish, I think I think it goes about it in a very successful way. I will say this. Disaster movies in Hollywood in general, I really do think, got a bit of an uptick in the 90s after the release of Independence Day a year later after this. Yes. Uh, because then you had Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones in and 1997. Dante's <laughs> Dante <Peak. laughs> Yeah. 
These are basic, um, if a studio would make an outbreak movie, like this would be basic. We're not going full on into the science. We're just scratching the surface and showing the audience, you know, the basic way how people would get sick. So everyone can understand. And like the little kids can feel like a little bit more smarter when they come out of it. So it's not that intense. And it's very easy for an audience of all ages really to follow. I mean, there is a bit of science in here, a little bit. Surface. It's definitely very Hollywood eyes, though, for sure. It's not contagion by any means. I mean, the one thing, the one scene that really stands out to me is the scene in the movie theater. Yes. Yes. He, like, Loved that. Zooms in on the particles coming from this coughing sick man and like follow them throughout the theater. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Which haunted <laughs> me even before our current situation. That that scene, ever since I saw it, I would always think about that when I was in a movie theater and heard yeah. somebody started coughing. Yeah. If I thought about stuff like that every time I walked into a movie theater, I don't think I would ever go to a movie theater ever again. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, it's so that, but that scene is like the one scene in this movie that has any sort of point of view or sense of directorial vision or flash or anything like that. Everything else in this is so rote and by the book and by the numbers. And it, mm-hmm. the, the the only thing it, it, that really sort of pushes this over like generic, totally middle of the road is Dustin Hoffman. You think so? Because I thought that his performance in this was extremely generic. I it's just be, he brings a sense of authenticity to that character and this sort of, you know, the energy of this crusader you know who's who's gonna who, he is going to save the day god damn it if it's the last thing he does <laughs> and it, it's so i mean like yes that is like you know the most generic two-dimensional part ever and everything between him and renee russo is just so terribly scripted that it doesn't work at all but he at least he's at least like fully invested in this character and I he was the thing that sort of got me through everything else being so generic. I mean, like even even the villains are so generic, and like Donald Sutherland is doing his Donald Sutherland thing, but like there's no sense of fun to it. He's he's underplaying this like you know lip smacking, mustache twirling military bad guy, and like. Come on. He's, like, he's literally he's, just saying lines. He, yeah, he's just... Yeah, ham it up a little bit, you know? No, there's barely any charisma there. And at least Dustin Hoffman is, like, pushing all of his charisma into this character. I agree. Like, everybody's trying to play it extremely straight. You can tell they're all setting out to make a very serious movie. This is yeah. by no means meant to Which, be a... like, considering that what what we knew at the time and what else was happening in 1995. The fact that they took this seriously is almost offensive, Mm. but (laughs) I mean, I love, I I will say this in terms of serious moments. um, There is this one throwaway scene where the white house has like this uh, meeting and I don't remember who the character is, but there's this guy who delivers this like very fiery, passionate monologue. Oh yes, yeah. He's like, "Those are not statistics. They are flesh and blood." God damn it! Yeah, <laughs> like, that was yeah, like the, other, the chief of staff. That was the other. Yeah, thing that I remember. Yeah, like that was great stuff. I was like, "Yeah, more of this, please." Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you have Morgan Freeman there to like balance out Donald Sutherland as like the 
uh, army uh, commander who who is like, you know, he's just and trying to do the right thing, even though he bumps head with, with uh, Dustin Hoffman. Um, I mean, and let's face it, I, what you're talking about in terms of Dustin Hoffman's presence alone being like a comfort, so to speak, while watching this movie, that's how I kind of feel about Morgan Freeman. It's like, oh, Morgan Freeman's in it. Eh, Alrighty, Like immediately it gets like one point higher, probably just for the presence of Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and I you know, think it's a really interesting performance too. like he the underplaying that he is doing actually works for the character. But I'll say that holds storyline of like the government and all that stuff is by far in my opinion the weakest part of the movie oh yeah i mean when you have donald sutherland over the radio telling these bombers stick to your orders <laughs> and then you have dustin hoffman like are you gonna follow orders or you know and it's like oh my gosh like the morality of this movie is just slapping me in the face right now <laughs> like, i don't need that yeah and then they're playing chicken with the bomber plane <laughs> on top of that yeah, I would have been so okay oh without any of that. And it would just be about Dustin Hoffman trying to get the monkey and then, like, not deal with, like, oh, we're just going to bomb everyone. Now we have that whole subplot. Yeah, the monkey monkey should have been, like, a cast member in and of itself. Uh, Bet Betsy. Betsy the monkey. What a girl. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what a performance. <laughs> what a performance. When she gets hit with, with that tranquilizer, that's an Oscar-winning reaction scene right there. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> 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 and then what do we think of uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. in this? Uh, back when he was in his prime, you know, and he was still pretty hot in Hollywood. He was he did what he had in this movie. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. He, he, he was Cuba Middling Jr., you're, you're telling me? <laughs> he, the, he had nothing to do. Like, at least, and I... At least he who shall not be named, you know, was giving his, you know acerbic wit you know yeah talk about someone that's also at their prime during this era i would right. say as yeah. well the hair the hair the blonde <laughs> hair oh my god but like cuba had nothing and he has no personality as it is so he, you know His he was not able was to literally that. the helicopter pilot yeah that's yeah. the purpose of the character <laughs> actually wait a minute you know in terms of like characters existing for the sake of the plot I will not forget. This was immediately a point, a point reduction for me was when um, they were like, we have to get on that ship. And then the woman just casually goes, I've got a friend in the Coast Guard. Yeah. <laughs> How close? Closer than his wife would like. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right Although the way she delivers that line, like if the rest of the movie had had her sensibility this would have been a lot more fun i agree but like i said that's what like independence day did uh <laughs> yeah. you know the following year and i feel like that's what was carried over then into all types of disaster films from that point forward yeah. and, and look man i i get it i understand it that there's a lot of stuff in this movie that you know is going for a particular tone or mood that you may not gel with and i think at the end of the day you're either kind of just going to buy into it or you're not, you know, this yeah. isn't trying to be contagion. This isn't trying to give you a, an in-depth look of how an outbreak might actually occur in this country. You know, it's not trying to do that. I definitely would counter that and say, while I agree with you, it's definitely Hollywood's version of that. Once again, as we said before, the movie is taking itself very seriously. Very seriously. I mean, but like in terms of degree. Well, yes. Yeah. Like, it's not taking itself seriously as a, like, this is 
what would actually happen, but it is taking itself seriously in that, like, it's not, it's not approaching this from the perspective of being a piece of like entertaining entertainment. It's very focused on being a thriller. I mean, the movie's at its best, I think, when the characters, the main cast members, have these close call moments with getting infected, their yeah. suits are tearing, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. You know, keep your helmet on, and th- moments of that, I think, are when the movie's probably at its best, I would say. I, props to the makeup crew as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot of <laughs> tremendous job. And, like, they really sell the despair of what happens when you get this this super virus or whatever. Not nominated for an Oscar for makeup. I mean, not surprising. I mean, they probably couldn't show it in the highlight reel because it was all too graphic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think that, yeah, I, I think that those moments, uh, you know, with the makeup and showing the um, – actual effects that this virus is having on people and you know the stakes of that um there's like this one scene where um a mother gets like torn away from her uh family in the um in the uh cedar uh was yeah. it cedar creek right cedar creek yeah. home yeah. and once again i'm like all right like stop hitting me over the face a little bit with this stuff but you know at the same time i i get it they really want to try and establish the the stakes of the town and and that part is better than uh the the citizens trying to escape in the helicopter shooting up the jeep and it exploding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but like at the same time, like that, I I appreciate what they were trying to do with that woman leaving her family. But then there's like no payoff. Exactly. But, but you know exactly. what? Like, wait, wait, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. But I think a counter to that is if they did go further into it, we would be complaining about why are we spending so much time with this character who seems so separated from everybody else. I actually think... Oh, Josh, you know me so well. (laughs) I actually think that the moments that we get with that mother I actually think are so economically done for this story that it's all that I really need. It introduces what the stakes of this are and we get a, a sense of that. You know, we don't need these extended sequences of her with the family before and all that. Like, we, we get it. And I actually think that in terms of, like, very glossy Hollywood storytelling, that's actually a, an example of it doing a really good job. It's in a particular frame set, I grant you, but for that, I think it is done very well. I think it is done very well, and I think that the actress does a really good job. But the problem is, like, the the screenplay is asking us to be invested in this character, and it's really, really pushing that very hard in this one scene. And the payoff is we, you know, the scientist looking at her DNA num like her blood sample number and being like, damn it, everybody in this town has this disease. Arr. And th- that works. I mean, it's, it's this well, whole I, identity movie. Like, you know, they never really come back to her. And I'm like, you know, if you're going to introduce us and get us invested in this character, then, you know, give us a Kate Winslet in contagion scene with her or, you know, like at least like show her dead as one of the dead bodies, but they don't even do that. Did they? I don't remember. I don't remember. I feel like they did like after like the person of says like, these are people. And then like it cuts to like this people like zipping up back. She was one of the faces. Uh, Maybe I, I I might not have noticed it. It it was was effective to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, Oh, so let me guys. I want to ask this question. 
Um, dating back probably to the paranoid era of like the 50s and such, um, I imagine that plot lines where governments will drop bombs on a contaminated town to save the rest of the country. That's been like a storytelling trope that everybody has used throughout time. Right. We, we agree on that. Yeah. Yeah. OK. But can we all agree that there is absolutely like no plausible real life scenario where something like that happens for real yeah like again the whole government like dropping a bomb on a town in america is the most like ridiculous plot point ever and i think it like really makes the movie weaker in my opinion it draws me out because i'm with the doctors this entire time and i'm rooting for them then all of a sudden they have to play action hero and try to literally stop a b-level version of a nuclear bomb I mean, Dan, we would have been wiped off the face of the planet last week if this oh. was real life. <laughs> last week? Like, try two, three weeks. <laughs> we got to contain... <laughs> we got to contain it in New York, sir. <laughs> Stop it from spreading across the rest of the country. I mean, yes, it's, it's very silly. And I think that's one of those things where your mileage will vary on how much it will bother you. I'm, you know, it's... Very ridiculous. There were times, Josh, where I legitimately thought of you because I'm like, this is creeping into James Bond territory. And I was like, I wonder what Josh thinks of all of this. Well, you know? for me, I also am somebody that I have and I've freely admitted this in the past, that these are the types of movies that are very much in a sweet spot for me. And fair enough. I, yeah. I recognize that, yes, they're not perfect. But I think I am also somebody that probably tolerates a lot of these issues more than other people do and i think especially more than you guys do totally fair i i get it um all right what i want to do now is i want to move over to uh final thoughts on the movie so anything that we did not bring up that you guys want to bring up um i know i definitely want to give a shout out to uh patrick dempsey uh patrick you were in the movie for a little bit but it was nice seeing you sir yeah, although <laughs> that was an, fun. Another, that was fun. Another moment that scars me in this movie is when he comes um, off the plane and meets his girlfriend, and she <laughs> yeah, literally says, "You look uh, awful," and then goes to make out with him. Like I like don't understand. The biggest <laughs> like kiss, like first reform style with the spinning camera and everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you're right, Josh. It was definitely. I was like, wow, she must really, really be into him. My God. Yeah, and it would I be mean, one thing if, like, Patrick she looked Dempsey. at him. Yeah, but it would be one leather. thing if, like, first yeah. and then made the comment, but she notices how terrible he looks and then goes and to kiss him. out, yeah. Hey, you know, that's wife material right there. They're in love. <laughs> uh, so in love. Anyways, uh, whatever final thoughts that you guys have. Well, you know, uh, the only other thing that I just want to reiterate is um, just giving some more praise to Dustin Hoffman. And I think the element that I really respond to to him in this movie is that it's basically him giving like a movie star performance, which you just don't normally see from him. You know, it's yeah, it's like a performance that is very still dedicated, but it, you know that is dedicated to a very big movie that's not going for emotional depth. And that's actually harder to do than it seems. And I think that he really manages to sell it in, in this lead. 
you know, I never would put it as one of his best performances, but for what he needs to service this material for, I think he does a pretty good job. Yeah, I mean, also, too, um, I want to give a shout out to the scene where um, it's a very, very brief scene, but I, I do like his introduction scene where he's washing his dogs and yeah. his dogs uh, go out of his bathroom and get the, you know, the, the water and soap everywhere. I, I like that little bit there. Then it has to be ruined with that freaking scene with the taxi and like her taking the dogs. I, anyway, um, <laughs> Dan, what about you? Um, I was just like, I, I love whenever Hollywood makes a B movie with a list talent. Mm-hmm. I, and that is really what this, what outbreak is. It is a total B movie, but you have, you know, Wolfgang Peterson directing it and you have this cast, you know, it's, kind of crazy and i just i i wish that they had tried to have more fun with it as opposed to taking it quite as seriously as they did or at least try to inject more fun into it because without that it just it just comes off so so generic yeah i i I said before um this movie was a slog for me to get through I I needed more fun injected into it to give yeah. me bursts of energy because I just felt like it just you guys are talking about like the middle section dragging or a certain sections dragging. I to me I thought the whole movie dragged. Um and even then when they have that uh scene where they're doing you know the helicopter bit and stuff, I don't think in the movie's over, then you know, they get the um the uh uh the serum, mm-hmm. uh the cure. And then it's another helicopter scene. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, like, really? The movie's still going? There's okay. like literally an hour left of the movie after he finds the monkey. Yeah. 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 Uh, Lauren? Yeah, like, in general, the movie works. It is too long for me. Once it, Like, once he finds that monkey, that next hour, I am not invested at all. I think including the whole conflict with the government makes it a weaker film. And that's where they could have put more fun into it if they... Instead of doing that part, actually like stayed with these characters. I love the animal talent in this. So all the monkeys, all the dogs, love it. And <laughs> I really do love how much this castle works well together. But um, as it really does fall short with me once we get into that third act, where a lot of helicopters come into this movie that really shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, let's pass it over to some grades here now, um, Lauren. What grade would you give Outbreak? I'd give Outbreak a solid seven. Okay, nice. Yeah. Solid indeed. Mm -hmm. Josh Parm, what about you? Okay, well, before I say my grade, I want to just provide... Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I want to provide context for this, okay? I want to provide some context. Oh, God. Not all grades are created equal, and (laughs) movies are created to serve different functions. So in terms of this being a very glossy Hollywoodized version of a disaster movie, which is a genre that I am predisposed to really enjoy. There are many things that I think it does well, even taking into account the things that are problems with it. And for that, I am going to give it an eight out of 10. Jesus Christ. Wow. Okay. It's, All right. And he gets the job done. I get it. All right. Uh, hey, listen, he provided really good context, so I'm not going to hold it against him. Dan Bear. I'm in the boat with like it gets the job done. I'm I'm not so in the boat on it's entertaining. Like it has its entertaining moments, 
but I don't think overall it's very entertaining. So for me, it's a six out of 10. Uh, I am middle of the road on this one. I'm going with a five out of 10 here. So sorry. Uh, this movie did not break out the way that I wanted it to. All righty. So, um, an awards run for Outbreak. There really wasn't one. Uh, March release, 1995. Kevin Spacey uh, wins two awards for his performance in the movie. But did he really? They were kind of like co-joint awards for his other performances that he gave that year for Seven and The Usual Suspects. So, yeah, I don't really hold that. Um, I don't really hold that here at all. And, I mean, just in general. This came out in March? Yeah, March 10th, 1995. Yeah. There's just nothing here that I would put forward. I think Michael uh, Balhaus uh, cinematography is flat as hell. The James Newton Howard score is overbearingly awful. Um, we talked before about the editing of the film, and it's just got pacing issues. Uh, if anybody wants to throw a bone to Dustin Hoffman, be my guest for a brief second, but I don't know. <laughs> no. I mean, look, I'm the most positive person on this movie, but I'm not going to pretend like this is <laughs> worthy of awards recognition. I, I think that the one thing we did mention was the makeup. Um, yeah. I don't know if I would even campaign that hard for it, but if you're going to pick one thing from the movie, it would be that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, if I did. That's really the only thing. The ma- well, So the makeup category had three nominees that year. So maybe in a field of five? I think in a field of five, I'd be more likely to seriously consider it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. Do we know who the makeup nominees were in 95? Just out of Yeah. Um, it was Roommates, uh, My Family, Me Familia, and uh, the Oscar winner Braveheart. All right. I mean, that's not even a lineup that really inspires that much. <laughs> yeah, I, was gonna say, I mean, I could see putting it in there. Actually, I could see it. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I could see that, too. Um, if it was a field of five, I think it might have snuck in there. No, it would get in. You know, because I'm looking at the other movies from that year, and I could make arguments for things like maybe 12 Monkeys or uh, what else? Uh, Batman Forever. No way. (laughs) (laughs) We're not not going for that two-faced makeup. Um, I fucking love that makeup so much. Maybe seven? For makeup? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the 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 guy in the bed with the air fresheners, and then um, also the 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 gluttony uh, guy that they had yeah, to make yeah, up as well. Yeah, yeah, too. No pun intended. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's stuff there to choose from. Probably to fill out a field of five if you wanted to. Um, no way am I going to say Waterworld. No way. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Uh, but in any event, though, uh, moving off of that subject, Outbreak's uh, Oscar run, I'm sure uh, I, I don't know any other podcast that maybe has discussed that topic before. <laughs> um, oh, man. Uh, Lauren, uh, where can they find you on the Internet? You all can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Dan Bayer. I am on Twitter at Dan on Film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Outbreak here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. 
which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.